what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. Today I've got some call-ins, some game recaps. I'll warn you ahead of time, some of the game recaps are a little bit low energy. I don't know if I'll re-record them or not before I put this out. Probably not. Not been a great past week or so. Had to miss... In fact, I dropped out of Che Webster's um, Mithras game, Classic Fantasy, just because work kept interfering. I got Even though I was off Monday, I got a number of work-related calls, and it just... You, you know, I just can't make it happen. I was able to finish the Ninja City adventure Monday night, and I talk about that in this podcast. I was supposed to play in Arlen Walker's um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that uses Savage Worlds, but I wasn't today, which is Friday, but I wasn't able to do that because my van's burning oil. Got to figure out what's going on with that, so I'll be up at the garage during game time. In fact, I'm driving there now, which is why there aren't any show notes initially. By the time you pick this up, there may be show notes in the show. But when it's initially published, there won't be any show notes. So, yeah, the van's burning quite a bit of oil, actually. Well, I, don't, well, I say it's burning it. It's not leaking it that I can tell, and I'm not seeing blue smoke, so I don't know what's happening to it. But oil's disappearing out of the van, van's engine, and that's not never a good thing. It's got... I don't know, 160,000 miles, but it, you know, it should be good. It's a Nissan. It should be good for a lot more than that. It's a little work van, you know, MV200, little cargo van, painter's van, but we'll see. So what I'm going to end up doing is taking, I'm going to go ahead and get my motorcycle license. Years ago, I don't know, 25 to 30 years ago now, 94 to 96, I motorci- a motorcycle was the only vehicle I had. Nothing fancy, just a little uh, Suzuki GS500. Maybe it was a 500E, maybe. I don't remember. But, it, you know, but that's all I had. But that was fine. That little 500 did everything I needed to do. It was the only vehicle I owned. I was in Fort Lewis, and then I had a, had a break in service, so I was out living in the community there in Stelcom and Tacoma and Puyallup, Washington at the time. Um, but so I haven't actually read a motorcycle since 96, I guess, (laughs) but, um, so I don't have any of the paperwork from back then. So I'm going to go, I'm going to hop into a motorcycle, the basic beginner motorcycle riders program, whatever it's called. They offer at the local community college. The advantage of jumping in that program is, yeah, it's $200, but it serves as both the written and the riding portion of the DMV. So all you do is you show up at the DMV, show them this certificate, and they'll put the motorcycle endorsement on your license. Now, I could just do the written portion and the riding portion. I'm sure I'd pass them, but I don't have a bike to take the riding portion with. And if I buy a bike without a license, you know, how do I get it around to the DMV, you know, home and then do the DMV and all that stuff? Not to mention, right now, because of COVID restrictions, the way the DMV works is you have to make appointments. And the first appointment I was able to book with DMV is for 10 July. Yeah, July 10th. So once you have the certificate, it also acts as your learner's permit so you can ride a bike and I can go out and buy a bike using this certificate. Now, it's only good for 30 days, so there'll be like a two-week window there where I won't be able to ride it if I buy a bike right away. But this was the fastest way 
to get a motorcycle endorsement on my license. And, you know, if I pick up some little bike, you know, 500 or even one of these, you know, like a Ninja 400 or CBR 300, something like that, they get really good gas mileage and for the commute I do, they'll be fine. It, you know, it won't be as comfortable as a van. I, my understanding is technology's come a long way. I need to do some research on the audio systems you can put in the helmets now. I know you can put Bluetooth intercoms and there are ways to listen to music. So I assume there are ways to listen to podcasts. I've watched some YouTube videos of people, you know, talking while they're on their motorcycle doing recordings. I don't think I'll do this podcast while riding the motorcycle. <laughs> but who knows? We'll see what happens. We'll see what all that sounds like. But, yeah. I, I mean, all that kind of hinges on what it's going to cost to get the van sorted out. Because used cars are about as expensive as new cars right now. And new cars are scarce. You know, and all that's due to component shortages, thanks again to COVID-19. So, we will see. We will see what happens. But, due to that, I've been having some, a, a lot of back pain, neck pain lately, which is just related to old injuries. Um, which, not looking for sympathy, just, that's another thing that's kind of soured me and kept me out of games and kept me from being as active and useful as I should have been as, you know, this past week got my sleep study results back and they say yes you should be on a CPAP of course now I have to schedule another appointment and do the whole sleep study thing again wearing a CPAP one night so yay but you know it'll all sort out but but I have obstructive sleep apnea I think is what they called it I don't know my oxygen goes like the low 80s or something crazy like that again I'm driving so I can't look at the numbers but you know, it's pretty pretty nuts how often I wake... They, they give the numbers how often you wake up and how bad it is. And my, my wife, a nurse, looked at it and said, yeah, you're, you, you, need, you really do need a CPAP. So, so I guess whatever it is, it's pretty bad. But there you go. So that's all the, the, the woe is me stuff. Um, although getting a motorcycle is kind of cool. Although, you know, I'm old now. So, like, I'm happy with my van. I don't, I've had sport cars before and I've had sports cars before. You know, the difference is a sport car doesn't have a rear seat, right? But, you know, I had a, well, I don't know if it's fair to call Triumph Spitfire a sport car, is seeing how the thing could barely hang on the highway. <laughs> I don't know, I think they had lawnmower engine in that thing. But I, I had a Triumph Spitfire when I was a four-door. That was, that was a pretty fun little car, especially a four-door in Monterey, California, going around the mountain roads. That Spitfire would hang right in there. The next car I had after that was a 79 Formula Firebird with a, what have a 403 Pontiac engine or a 403 Olds engine, I forget which. Anyway, but that friggin', I think it was, anyway, whatever it was, that, that friggin' Firebird, I tried to, you know, zoom around curves like I did in that Spitfire and almost went off the side of the mountain. That thing did not handle near as good as that little Triumph did. But these days, I don't worry, I don't care about speed, I don't care about any of that. So, I mean, like, for me, ultimately, I'm going to, you know, if I spend the money, I'll have, like, a Honda Goldwing or something, right? I'll have some kind of touring bike that's just comfortable to cruise on. But initially, I'm just going to buy something cheap because, you know. And, again, even that's going to be, we'll see what, what it's going to cost to fix the van, and who knows what's going to happen here. But it'll definitely put a dent in my RPG life. The good thing is it's going to force me to, get off my duff and sell some of this junk I have around the house. So that's a positive thing. But, yeah, I think that's about it for me twittering. Um, Is is that what Che calls it? Wittering, I think. Yeah, not twittering. Wittering around. So I'm going to quit that, and we're going to launch into... I'm going to do the calls first, and then I'll do the gaming recaps. The Ninja City recaps pretty high energy, and the masks recaps in like six minutes, but the you america recap which you know is it was a fun game great game but it's pretty low energy so if i re-record it i'll let you know but at the beginning of the you america recap if i don't say i've re-recorded it you 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 may want to check out of that because it's 10 minutes of kind of low energy jason there so warning given anyhow with all that said let's get on with the show Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? 
maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator scream is coming from inside the house. Okay, the first caller up is Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire. So I'm going to turn it over to Carl. Hey, clarification number one. I'm just going to clarify as I listen. Uh, so actually, Umerica has chase rules. So it's the Umerica chase rules with some additional um, elements, random you know, random tables or whatever added specifically for the adventure, uh, right? Like the bundle, the, the duffel bag of holding and I think encounters or whatever. But Umerica does have chase rules and they're, they're pretty interesting and kind of neat. Um, so... I think your points are well received on High Colonies and its production. While I've been a longtime supporter of Columbia Games and Colestiaproducts.com because I like Hardmaster a lot, I really think that they needed another path on the High Colonies. Like we've talked about, there's some anachronisms that don't jive with today's uh, conceptions of science fiction. There's no, like... Some games, like even Shadowrun, has updated, you know, its uh, its ideas and I and how things work um, in its latest incarnations. You know, because we've had such an advance in computer technology and wireless technology since the first Shadowrun. Um, I think great games that have updated the technology and the concepts in sci-fi um, that we could use would be in the revealed in the next post. So Eclipse Phase would be one that's very transhumanist. And even the GURPS transhuman space has some great ideas. I'm not super sold on GURPS, don't tell Shea Webster. Uh, but I actually ran a transhuman space campaign using a Hero System, um, which was fantastic and ran for a long time on play-by-post. Uh, there's some notables like Jason Hobbs, who, who played in it for a while. So um, by, def- by default, I don't know, I'm, I was thinking about reworking uh, the characters in High Colonies uh, to Savage Worlds, uh, the Savage World space uh, spacefaring companion, and then Last Parsec um, might be a way to go, and I could probably easily convert. Uh, Savage World's pretty easygoing. It's got some um, plans for heroics. So Savage Worlds, it has, you know, this the system basically allows for big heroics or sometimes big whiffs, but um, it's a really good system. And actually I did incorporate the chase uh, in a way, uh, like a modified chase rules for the the train, or the train station chase uh, for you guys to get to the rail before the uh, band of humanity got there. I used uh, like something I had seen or, or had used in, um, Savage World for chasing. I, I just didn't use the, the deck of cards, right? But it was effect- effectively the chasing or chase rules for that. I guess also for High Colonies, there's some strangeness. Like, I don't know if I buy the whole apocalyptic way that the Earth went. And then with only 20 million people in the solar system, um, that's odd. The the add addition of the alien race is strange i mean i don't mind you know bio biogens bioroids you know androids replicants um that seems updated but everything else is kind of backwards i mean it's um again it would could have used another round of editing and playtesting and feedback before they released it Hey, Jason, damn it, look what you made me do. You made me go out and buy another post-apocalyptic rulebook. Uh, I went out to Dragon's Lair San Antonio and got my copy of Devil's Run Role-Playing Game, a core book for post-apocalyptic vehicular mayhem. The cool thing, it has both rules for the 2D20 Modifia system and Savage World. It looks pretty cool, uh, really good art. Actually, I've read some reviews and they say that... Um, it does a fantastic job of, of incorporating the Modifius 2D20 rules, enough granularity um, for people who like that type of stuff, um, but not too complex as, as Infinity and Conan are. So um, that's pretty cool. 
be great to play. Of course, they have chase rules and vehicle rules and different factions and all that kind of crazy stuff. I guess the default setting is the West Coast of the U.S. All right, talk to you later. Holy crap, I just realized this is episode 200. Thanks for having me, Jason. I am honored and somewhat embarrassed. Hey, Carl. Thank you so much for all those calls. As far as 200, yeah, it was actually like episode 208 because I've got some unnumbered episodes and some weirdly numbered episodes, so no big deal. I, it's like my it's like my birthday anymore. I don't put any stock into into numbers and anniversaries these days, but I do appreciate the sentiment. And thank you for all your input. Really enjoying the games. I have not read Devil's Run, or I'm not familiar with it, but, yeah, I'll check it out. Hey, Jason, Daniel from Bandit's Keep, uh, listening to your Carl special episode. Really good so far. Um, that Numerica game sounds outrageously amazing. Uh, you know, I, I had bought, I guess, most of those zines right right about the time that he started doing the Kickstarter. Like, he did it right after it, so I did the Kickstarter for it. And I have all that stuff, and I never got to run it. So uh, it sounds awesome. I mean, what a, what a great system. So it sounds like you guys had a blast. Good job uh, to the players for being creative, it looks like. And Carl's uh, setup seems just amazing. Hey, thank you, Daniel. Of course, that's Daniel of Bandits Keep YouTube and podcast fame. And yeah, Carl's doing a great job running you, America, and it's a wonderful setting. A little bit gonzo, but that's okay. And we're having a lot of fun with that game. Definitely. So thank you for those kind words. I definitely recommend, you know, revisit those books and check it out at some point. It'd be neat to see some actual plays of you, Miracle, on your podcast. Happy 200, Jason. Uh, or 208, 210, whatever it may be. Um, anyway, on the subject of downsizing your collection, um, you could give stuff away, you could sell some stuff, or you could try to trade it for gasoline. I went up and tried to fuel up the other day, and there was a shirtless guy with a hockey mask telling me to just walk away. So so I'm uh, perning through my books and seeing if any of them smell like petrol. Right. Take care. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Thank you so much for those kind words, Taylor. Everybody go check out Clericsware Ringmail, Taylor's blog. Excellent old school blog. As far as the gas situation, luckily the Colonial Pipeline folks paid the ransom and the gas started flowing again. So I didn't have to sell any of my game books for petrol. But on the rare political note, for everybody out there and all the comments you see where, oh, they shouldn't have paid the ransom and it should be illegal for them to pay the ransom and go after the company for paying the ransom. Well, you know what? Do we hold the same opinion for parents whose kids have been kidnapped? Should they not pay the ransom? You know, it, yes, morally, and, and yes, realistically, if you pay ransom, does it encourage other people to do kidnappings and do ransomware attacks? Sure it does. But when you're between a rock and a hard place, you do what you have to do to get your kid back, or you do what you have to do to get your business back up going, right? And I realize the parent whose child has been kidnapped is apples and oranges compared to the business whose, you know, IT stuff has been hijacked. But ultimately, that business is answerable to their stockholders and to the board and all that. And they had, and, and in this case, you know, it, 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 they were answerable to the American government and the American public to get this gas flowing again. It, you know, it's effectively a national security issue. So they did what they had to do. It is what it is. Nobody likes it, but to sit there and, and go after them for paying the ransom, if you're going to go after Colonial Pipeline for anything, it's for not having the foresight to have, you know, locked down their IT situation better, which is tough. I mean, it's, you know, in today's world with everything connected, you know, these attacks happen. And they're by far not the only company that's ever paid ransomware. Garmin you know, GPS company, you, you, a lot of your GPS stuff, they paid the, you know, not too long ago, they paid a, a ransomware. And you have a lot of cities that pay ransomware when their their stuff's attacked. So it's not like Colonial Pipeline's any place that's paid ransomware to these kind of people. But anyhow, Taylor, I really appreciate the comments. And yeah, luckily it did get resolved. So 
Let's move on to our next caller, who might be as tipsy as I am. Hi, Jason. It's Tipsy Friday. And I haven't called in for a while, so I thought I should call in and say something like, really been enjoying the episodes. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, I can't consult my GURPS books because I'm in the car. But if I said that, it wouldn't really be true. What would be more accurate would be to say that I don't have any GURPS books, I suppose. So um, that would be that. Would be that. Um, I hope we get to play again. It's great that you've got all the stuff going on with Carl. That's, that's, that's great. And uh, that's, you know, so fantastic. That's all I can say. Uh, Maddie, get down. Um. You know, Jason. Now that now that I'm getting into the whole Tipsy Friday thing, um, I I realise I realise that it. I think it is down to you. I think it's inspired by you. It's all those messages that 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 I get and other people get where you say, uh, uh, "Sorry, I." I, d- I don't know where my GURPS books are because I've been drinking um, for breakfast. So I, th- I really, I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. I think it's great. I really enjoy it. I've just been leaving some other messages around. Um, and it's really, it's really good fun, you know. It's, um, I think it's, I think it's much better than socialising. Of course, that's Barney from Logalutus Podcast, and I agree with you. Drinking for breakfast is much better than socializing. I am 100% behind that um, sentiment. Barney, I'd love to get more of your games. We'll, we'll have to make that happen. We'll, we'll definitely get back to it. Always enjoy playing in your games. Next up, we have Spencer, also known as Free Thrall, from Keep Off the Borderlands. Hey Jason, Spencer here. I just wanted to thank you for the great run of episodes you've been putting out recently. Some really, really enjoyable stuff. And um, I was thinking about the term exploitation movies. In kind of in the context of the discussion about labels we were having, I can understand you don't want to get back into all that. You're probably as sick and tired of it as I am. But um, I just thought that it was interesting that... I mean, I bet there's a whole bunch of movies that are undeniably exploitation movies, but there's probably an equal amount that you could kind of argue the toss either way. And it's something that's very much in the eye of the beholder, you know, in the in in the opinion of the viewer. I just thought that was an interesting thought. Perhaps you might think otherwise and you're free to ignore me. Take care, man. Bye. That's it, Spencer. I've taken your picture off my wall. Okay. You guys remember the Geico commercial where the old lady takes somebody's picture off the wall? Um, of course, that's Spencer. The Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. Go check it out. No, you're not wrong. The problem is exploitation film. You know, exploitation films aren't a genre. It's, it's just this broad category. And it's meant that that definition has changed over the years. Of course, your classic exploitation period is probably from, you know, the 1920s to the 1959 or so. And then they kind of change and morph in what they are. But if we go to something like Wikipedia, I know, I know. If we go to something like Wikipedia, the definition it gives is an exploitation film is a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting current trends, niche genres, or lurid content. So... And then it goes on to say exploitation films are generally low-quality B-movies. But when you look at exploiting current trends, well, you know, slasher movies and whatnot. And a lot of people do list slasher movies as exploitation films. Now, I wouldn't put all slasher movies in, in this genre, um, but I think some fall in there. So as far as my the recent movies I've discussed, Mother's Day, I think, is very definitely an exploitation movie. I think once you hit that rape revenge and, and especially the, 
quality and the money that goes into a trauma film, I think they definitely fall in exploitation. The Edge of the Axe that I just reviewed last episode, I don't know. So that was a, it's still a low budget production. It was still released direct to VHS, right? So it probably is an exploitation movie because it's trying to cash in on the whole slasher thing. The actors aren't very good. You know, they're one dimensional. There's a whole list of things that kind of go into some of these definitions. And actually, instead of me trying to go on a long diatribe here today, I'm going to reach out to Spencer and we're going to try to record a session together where we discuss exploitation movies. So watch for that in the future, folks. Jason, Zeebel Jeff, just catching up on your podcast and listening to episode 197. And you mentioned the roleplayingtips.com with John Four. And I remember coming across that website and subscribing to his email feed back in probably 2005, 2006, maybe before that. And I was collecting all of his tips and everything. I've, I've always found that a great resource there. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you came across it. Uh, lots of good stuff in there. And uh, just appreciate you pointing that out. And something that I'd kind of forgotten about and hadn't looked at in a while. Now I need to get into it. Later on. Jason. Seeable Jeff again. So, continuing on in uh, 197, and you've done a couple little unboxings, unwrappings and everything, but don't have your tape measure. Dude, dude, measure your hand how long it is. Measure the span that you can make between different your thumb and different fingers. Measure the width of your hand. That way you got a good basis. That way you can just kind of quickly slap it down. Yeah, it's about mm, five and a quarter inches. I can't believe you hadn't already done that. And I stopped too soon. Dude, you got all four books of Death Dealer series. I bought those when they came out because, you know, Frazetta. I mean, I have several Frazetta posters that I have put on foam board just to protect them. Uh, ones I'd found kind of had rips and weird tears in them and everything. So yeah, you'll. I think you'll like those books. I can't wait to hear what you say about them. Alright, later. Of course, that was Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings podcast. And he left us a couple calls. Minions and Musings might be on a slight hiatus, but I still highly recommend going checking out his older episodes. As far as the Death Dealer books, yes sir. I did pick them up. I've only been able to start reading them. Life's just, as I've related earlier, been hectic. And the books are like in excellent condition. Like the spines aren't broken or anything. So I'm really hesitant to be the one that actually, like, you know, bends them out and flattens out the pages, you know. So I'm being really ginger with them, you know, where I'm holding the, you know, the book like cracked enough to read the page kind of thing. So I haven't got really far into it yet, but I'm into the first book and really enjoying it so far. I'll definitely give a, a recap once I'm done. So thank you so much, and let's get on to the next call. Hey Jason, this is uh, Safinio here from Alone in the Labyrinth. Uh, it is half past eight on a Saturday evening. Uh, so here in Brighton, south of England, sun's not yet gone down. Uh, I wanted to send you a message to say um, uh, I hadn't listened to your uh, Mother's Day special when I after I got your message and I got a bit confused because we celebrate <laughs> a Mother's Day at a different time in the UK, it's closer to Easter than May so I didn't realise you were referring to um, yeah, like a very recent episode, so then it came up in my feed and you it was actually not just a special it was a full review and dissection of a classic movie I hadn't actually seen before or even heard of um, 1980 uh, I was born but of course all of the classic slashers from the 80s I thought um, I'd seen so it was completely new to me and that was a great uh, episode and also an odd bit of synchronicity 
but yeah um, just thanks for an enjoyable episode and thanks for your call-ins I see that you've messaged uh, recently I'm assuming that might be about the prompt but I've not listened to it yet because I just wanted to get that message out there thank you for some good stuff and uh, yeah uh, that's it good evening from Brighton of course that's Safinio from the Alone in the Labyrinth podcast highly recommend it go check that out very interesting podcast and he does a thing where he puts prompts out to try to get people to call in and they're usually very interesting prompts I've been enjoying his episodes lately so yeah Mother's Day <laughs> 1980 from Troma I'm not sure everybody would consider it a classic but yeah it's an interesting movie um, that's interesting that Mother's Day is a different day over there than it is over here. Um, I, I didn't realize that. Of course, you, you know, I'm an ugly American, so I see things from that, you know, I view everything from that American perspective. But I, I didn't realize Mother's Day was different, you know, across the world. That, that's very interesting. But thank you so much for the kind words. Thank you for the call. Um, I'm Definitely check that movie out if you have a chance. Like I said, I don't know if Shudder has a, you can get Shutter over in the UK, but it's a streaming service that AMC runs. And if you are able to get it, perhaps they have Mother's Day on over there. They do have it over here. But you, you can get Blu-rays and DVDs of Mother's Day over there. Arrow did a release. You, you're, you may be familiar with Arrow Video. They're a UK company that does excellent releases of these cult movies. And Arrow's done a release, and I think you can still get your... The version over there. It's had a print over here, but I th- it may still be in print over there. I know the German version is, there's a German version in print and maybe a Spanish version in print. There's still some versions in print over, you know, on your side of the pond. So you should be able to get it, you know, fairly reasonably if you're interested. Um, but anyhow, thank you so much for the call. Really appreciate it. And yes, I did leave you a prompt. So I'm curious to see how that turns out. I was you know, into my scotch, sitting in the hotel room waiting for our Petro um, outage to to clear up. So hopefully, um, hopefully I wasn't too drunk and stupid during that, that last call that I gave you. Um, so with that said, let's move on to the next part of the show. Okay, we can't go without an unboxing. So I have a box here by Airmail, Par Avon Royal Mail, International Standard, single use only L. It is a book. The total weight is 0.15 and the value is three. Um, I guess British pounds? I don't know. Um, looks like it. So let's see what's in here. It was This was mailed on the... 10th of May, and what's today? Today is the 20th of May, so 10 days to get overseas, not too bad. Um, let's open this thing up here. So let's just cut the tape, it's just got regular tape on it. And oops, I guess we have to cut all the tape. So let's see what we got. Okay, this is a receipt from, this is from, online store, that's helpful. Okay, this is from Square Hex. This was bought on recommendation of Mr. John Allen Large. This is the Spiral Bound BX, um, what's it called, BX Monster, BX Monster Reference Index. And it's spiral bound, and it cost me, I think, twice as much to ship it as it cost. Yeah, it was three pounds, and it cost six pounds to ship it, so I paid nine pounds for this. But I, I think it's worth it. It's a spiral bound book with all the monsters in it. Um, like I say, John Allen Large has talked about this over on Red Dice Diaries. But I, and, and I actually had this on PDF, 
And if you buy it on drive through on PDF, you get an Excel file too, so which is really cool. Um, whoa. Let's see. There's a pocket guide to Dungeon Geomorphs in here too. Um, there's a D20, a, a D20 table that's not filled out on a card. There is a selection of... It's another page in here. What does this say? A selection of something, and it's folded. I don't know what this is. There's a bunch of stuff in here, a bunch of loose sheets that I'm not smart enough to use. Here's a Thaco table, which is really cool. And, oh, here it is. You're supposed to put these two pieces of papers together. A selection of our A4 label range. Okay. And on one side, we have a blank sheet where you can handwrite your own little monster chart with all the things like encumbrance or number number encountered, move, armor class, hit dice, attacks, damage, save morale, XP and notes. And then the other one has, so these are just labels. They print out some label paper, and I wasn't smart enough to figure out that's what was on the back of it. But on the other side, it's got a Thaco table, which is really cool. And then, like I say, there's this little dungeon, dungeon geomorph thing in here. Maybe they saw as, I don't know if they shipped this stuff with all their orders, or they saw as from America and felt bad that I'm paying twice as much for shipping as I paid for the <laughs> the product. But that's worth it, you know? I think so. Oh, so on the inside cover here, and this is really nice material, too. This is kind of heavy-duty. It's laminated, you know, that kind of slick paper. Um, well worth it. Well worth it. There's... What, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. 30 monsters on a page, and the pages aren't numbered, but there are a whole bunch of pages. Um, it's well worth the money. Uh, but on the back, it has it's a, it has a little box of ad for Fossil, Fantasy Old School System Index Light. FossilRPG.blogspot.com, coming in 2016. I'll have to look that up and see what it is. On the back cover, they have uh, some cheat sheets. They have weapons with damages, standard ACs for armor class. Of course, it's all descending, as is right in the world. They have the combat sequence. So they also have missile weapons with ranges and damage. They have a turning undead. I'm coming back to the combat sequence, guys. They have a turning undead table. Average hit points by hit dice for your monsters, a fighter saving th throw table, AC conversion table if you use the dreaded ascending armor class, um, monster experience point table, monster reaction table. Very, very cool. Uh, let's see if there's anything on the front cover. Oh, just explanation of the all monsters. That's cool. Um, and then they also have the combat sequence. So in this version of the combat sequence... We have, and there, there is also on the back cover the monster Thaco table, the monster to hit table. But so the combat sequence in, in the version that this is designed for, or what they're recommending number one, players announce character movements and actions. Number two, each side rolls d6 for initiative. So you announce before you roll initiative. Three, winning side acts first. Four, winning side makes their moves. Five, winning side makes their missile attacks. Six, winning side casts spells. Seven, winning side makes their melee attacks. Eight, the side that lost initiative goes through steps four through seven. Nine, round ends, and the sequence begins anew for the next round. I think that's reasonable. I would probably mix mix them up a little bit where you go back and forth between those for some of the, Like, you know, one side moves, the other side moves, one side does missile, the other side does missile. But this one's perfectly fine, too. All in all, I am super happy with this product. Very, very cool. Well worth the nine pounds to get it over here, whatever that is in real American money. So the other thing I have here is a star selling. I don't know what this is. It's a UPS. It's just one of those. It's a media mail. So it's a white, you know, white envelope, padded envelope, slightly padded envelope. And let's see what's in here. I'm not doing any measuring because as we know, it offends the evil Jeff. Ooh, very, very cool. So this is RPG related. This is from Goodman Games. Goodman Games of Old. This is like a 2008 product from Goodman Games. Hiya! That's actually the name of it. H A I I I I I dash Y A. Cartoon Martial Arts Combat. Take that bad guy, Ferocious Fire Dragon Inferno Blast. 
outrageous Japimation action burst to life with Hiya cartoon martial arts combat. Create your favorite Japanese anime fighter, then add martial arts styles, special attacks, signature moves, combat options, and a wide variety of hilarious chi powers like star Ener- energy shrunken and tsunami water smash. Increase in power and rank, then decimate your opponents in one-on-one or mass gladiatorial combat. All you need to play is this book and some six-sided dice, so don't wait any longer. The fight is about to begin. So back in 2008, this was $14.99. I don't know what I paid for it. I bought it, obviously, secondhand from somewhere. Um, I paid. There's a receipt in here. Does it have a price? No, because when they put receipts in packages anymore, they never put prices. You ever notice that? Um, But I paid something... For this from an Amazon seller called Star Selling. I don't know. But whatever I paid for it, that's cool. It This looks like it's um, new old stock. It's in really good shape. And, oh, when I open it up, on page 43, they have a Medusa attacking a guy with its snake, snake hair curled around his neck. So that's a kind of, it's a one of the creatures in here. Um, very cool. So, yeah, I look forward to doing, maybe playing this sometime. So that's Hiya by Goodman Games. Very cool. Thank you for joining me for this double unboxing of BX Monster Reference Index and the Cartoon Martial Arts Combat Game from Goodman Games. Okay, I am not going to re-record these actual plays because I want to get this podcast out. If you hear noise in the background, it's because I'm at the auto shop. They're trying to figure out why my van's burning oil, what's going on there. So... First up, we have Ninja City. That's pretty high energy and succinct. Masks is a little bit more drawn out. And then Umeric is like 12 minutes. Now, I go into a lot of detail in those 12 minutes, but, you know, it's like 12 minutes. So, Masks and Umerica, I was drunk or hungover or not at my best when I recorded those. So, you might hear that in the voice, and that's why they're not quite as peppy. Anyhow... I just wanted to give you that warning. So I'm actually going to do my sign-off now before I play these podcast reviews. And then if you want to hang around to listen to the reviews, great. Or not the reviews, the recaps, great. If you don't, that's fine too. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you to all my callers. Thank you again to my, you, my listener. Thank you to Ray Otis for the art, TJ Drennan for the music. You can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to Jason. I'm sorry, you can't send an email there. But you can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach a sound file, then I will play it on the air and make you famous. And you can also probably look me up on the Audio Dungeon Discord. So take care, everybody, and enjoy these recaps. Again, after the recaps, it's just going to go right into the outro. See you next time. Ninja City. So we finally finished Ninja City. All we had left in the adventure in the book was to, for the our team to assault the headquarters of the enemy. So we did that the other night. And it was pretty fun. So we had, of course, the original two players, John and Eric. Eric has that Omega 3D Chicken Coop podcast thing. And then Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire, also joined us. So Carl made up a ninja called Black Tiger. And um, unlike the other two who... Sensei is Pai Mei, based, of course, on Pai Mei. And they're, they're in the bottom of Tony's Pie is a pizza parlor. Carl's Black Tiger character is, lives in a... Well, he doesn't live. Well, I don't know where he lives. But I don't think he lives in a video arcade. But the Ninja Lair is a video arcade. And his master is a mutant in the sewers. And he said it was something like Toxic Avenger, which is pretty awesome. His hand seal power was Second Sight, which works just like the Precognition Second Sight in DCC. Um, didn't really have a chance to use that much. He tried to cast it once and it failed. Um, I did use that as the hook on why he came in the adventure. Basically, I said the two ninja schools in the city were kind of parallel schools, friendly rivalry. You know, they weren't opposed to each other, and they would work together at times, and then they compete in tournaments and whatnot. But so he, but he saw that these fellow ninjas were going to be in this big fight. So he shows up before you know as they're approaching the headquarter, enemy headquarters, and joins up with them. But it went pretty good. Um, 
yeah, I think everybody had a good time. It was a pretty short session, unfortunately, because I had to get up early the next day. I got like three and a half hours sleep that night, which kind of sucks because I'm old. It doesn't work so good. You know, not getting any sleep isn't as easy as it used to be. But all in all, yeah, highly recommend Ninja City. Great system, great game. Um, even And, you know, it's funny because so everybody's a ninja, and effectively everybody other than their, their hand seal, everybody's pretty much the same as, yeah, I mean, you roll your attributes randomly. It's 46 drop lowest. But really, they all have kind of the same power set for the most part. And that said, you know, they each played their character very differently, and they did a great job. You, you know, we had, you know, it was an exciting game, I think, and they, they had some interesting takedown of bad guys, and, yeah, it worked out really well. So... Yeah, really enjoyed it. I look forward to... I'm going to come up with some, you know, original scenarios for it. And definitely going to run it again in the future. Masks. Session recap. So again, the only other player you guys may be familiar with is Eric. The 3D Chick, 3D Omega Chicken Coop podcast. But we continued our Masks game, which is a Power by the Apocalypse teenage superhero game. We had defeated a villain last session and turned him over to the authorities so our team had started to co- coalesce and we, we each kind of departed from that the one character meat shield who, who the one that got drunk he went home and his father told him that you know because he got drunk and because he had a pattern of this behavior apparently been drunk before you know gone off and gotten drunk before he was going to send him off to private school the following week and to, you know, say goodbye to his friends and all that because he was going to go off to this private school, college academy. Pigskin, the next day, decide, as you might remember, you know, Pigskin is a, he got fused, he was a school mascot and he got fused to his warthog costume. And, and so because of that, you know, he's a, basically looks like an animatronic warthog. But uh, there's another person that's the mascot of the team now and the villain had captured this other mascot in a warthog costume thinking it was pigskin. So pigskin felt this was a bad thing, so he went destroyed. You know, the next day at school, he ripped up the, the mascot costume, destroyed it, and then went to the teacher that he trusted and asked her to talk to the rest of the faculty and try to change the school mascot because anybody wearing a costume that looks like pigskin would put them in danger. And she told him, yeah, that probably wasn't the best way to go about it, what he did, but they had, the faculty had already talked about that and kind of agreed to that. And then Kid Ninja, Eric's character, who's basically kind of like Robin, well, the Batman to that Robin is Iron Ninja. And Iron Ninja told Kid Ninja that our team can't use Dojo anymore because we're bringing too much heat, we're too visible. But he would found a different hideout for us. So... We so that night we all met met, and we went to the new hideout, which is out on the wharf, and it's like this this little seedy place, in, 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 incognito's fishery or I, shoot, I wrote it down, but I don't have it handy. But anyway, it was it basically it's like it, it's a it's a bait store, I think, but it, you know incognito's. And we go in, and there's this guy there, and he introduces this guy. It looks like Popeye with a beard pipe and all sitting behind the desk and he says this is al front or a front and um he's a a hard light hologram that that you know they've they've rigged up here super high tech has a a training room which is like a danger room or a holodeck and all this all this stuff there in the in this new hideout so we go to try out the the training room the danger room and basically the team you know didn't work together we we were in there and the although that's not tr- totally fair because the team did work together some so it started off these robots pop up from the floor and pigskin grabs one and he starts tussling with one and he uses his success to to give an advantage to the other players which is something you do by the power of the apocalypse and so he's basically grabs one and he turns it so its back was to the other characters meat shielded you know the danger room had formed quickstand under his feet so he was trying to get out of the quickstand and gateway flew over grabbed him pulled him out of the quickstand 
which is great. But then when they tried to do a team move against the robots that popped up, Gateway failed his role, so he couldn't absorb the energy from Gate. Or I'm sorry, Meat's shield failed his role, couldn't absorb the energy, and effectively got slammed against the wall from the energy the Gateway was trying to feed him. And so for, pretty much for the rest of the combat, they were out of it because they were talking about that. And Kid Ninja tried to do, you know, try to kick the the robots, and he kind of fumbled around some. And eventually, Pigskin ripped the arms off one of the robots and beat them down with the, with the arm. Oh, and Gateway did finally use his energy powers to to blow a hole in one of the robots. But after this little training section, then Kid Ninja goes off on the other characters. Basically, he's using one of his moves to recover. Or it might be a team move. But anyway, he used a move to, to try to clear a condition. So basically, he attacked all the other characters, trying to make them feel bad. And and um, so in doing that, basically, all the other characters said, screw this. This isn't a, you know, a team. We don't have to put up with this. And they all left. And, and that's kind of where we left the session. But it, it's been interesting. You know, Mask has been kind of fun. I'm definitely looking forward to the next session. See where we go from there. I guess I should mention the in in an epilogue that was just described to us. You know, we didn't participate in it. You know, we switched to the shady office, and a you see a set of hands pull out folder a folder that has um a Mazo Corp on there. And a Mazo Corp, you know, we had earlier found out had something to do with the, you know, with the villains we had fought before. But and they have files on each of us saying property of a Mazo Corp. And then it kind of pans up and it ends up being Meat Shield's dad that, that was looking at these files. So that's where we, that's actually where the session ended. But it was a lot of fun. Um, definitely enjoying it. It, it. It's an interesting system. And, and definitely not just a, you know, punch them, punch them up game. We're definitely doing a lot more of the teen angst and the, you know, role playing, which is kind of cool. One last note on masks is that the other thing that happened, Gateway is still trying to get control of his powers, and he's kind of unsure of himself. So there's this frequency, it, it's, it's cosmic radiation recording off the internet, that kind of will turn his powers off if he hears it. So he gave Kid Ninja that frequency, who programmed it into a, to a shrunken, to you know throwing star, electronic throwing star, so that, that he could use to shut down Gateway if gateway's powers got out of control so that might come up later so i figured i better mention it now in this recap in case it comes up in a later session umerica recap so i'm not going to go over the whole thing basically we're playing umerica which is a post-apocalyptic dcc game and we're doing a race kind of like death race 2000 kind of style i am playing two characters a wasteland warrior and a wasteland wizard gabriel's playing two characters, a driver like a Man Max character, again, I'd have to look up the character class, and a wild child, which is kind of like a thief with some other abilities, and Carl Rodriguez is game mastering. We tried to look for some other players, nobody stepped up, so we just kept playing two characters each. So we picked up where we left off, we're in our vehicle on the flatbed of this train, we just pulled up on the train. So there's a gunner on the end of the flatbed with dual Gatling guns who's now swung the Gatling guns towards us. And that's where we pick up. My, mag my Wasteland Wizard release a magic missile. Rolling Actually, I so they're fifth level, so they, they get two action dice. And I said I'm going to cast magic missile twice. I should have cast one and then <laughs> cast the other. But since I said I was doing it twice, then we went with that. I rolled a 25 and a 9. Well, with modifiers. I had a 25 and a 9. 25 on the D20 and a 9 on the D14 after modifiers. So the 25 was an excellent spell. It ended up doing, it was like 40-12 plus level. So it did like 58 points of damage. So basically just the gunner disappeared in a red mist. But the 9 is a loss of the spell and a failure. So I lost Magic Missile for the, the rest of today, or the rest of the game day. Um, but we took out the gunner, so we reach back in this magic duffel bag we have from the Techno Wizard that's captured us and making us do the race, and Euchre pulled out, or I'm sorry, the, the Wasteland Wizard pulled out a six-pack of old Fisherman Logger, 
which basically acts as holy water in this game. And he pulled out a Star Wars-style detonator with radiation symbols on it that says micro-nuke, use in case of extreme emergency. So we moved on to the next car, which is a passenger car. Actually, it was a box car. I'm sorry. We moved on to the box car. And I, th I think it was a box car. Anyway, we moved on to the next car. I have passenger car written here. But for some reason, I was thinking it was a box car next. Anyway, we move on to the next car. And we go on the roof, and we come in down through the roof. And there, when we open the hatch, we look in there, and there are rail wraiths in the car. So the Wasteland Warrior dropped down and attacked. And because she has a, a magic sword, a, um, a is it Gaius? I'm looking for what we call this thing. I thought I put it in the notes. Anyway, um, she dropped down there, and because of her special sword, she was able to take one of them out and just kind of split it down the middle. Middle. The Wasteland Wizard dropped down and cast Chill Touch, which took effect next round, gave him one round of bonuses. He rolled a 12. Um, Circus, who's the Wild Child, I'm sorry, the Wild Child dropped down. I'm not using the character names here in this recap. The Wild Child dropped down, and um, he actually failed his agility roll, and he had, he had the chainsaw that he had pulled out of the duffel bag. So... He had to burn some luck so he didn't fall on top of the chainsaw. And the driver, the Mad Max character, had stayed back at the car, but he started moving up to meet us. So one of the a couple like four railways attacked the Wasteland Warrior, two attacked each of the other characters, and then a couple others started singing dirge. And the dirge disorients those that failed their will save and they lose their attack for that round. So the driver failed the the will save, the Wasteland Warrior failed for one round, the Wizard failed for a couple rounds, the Wild Child passed, and then the other Wraiths attacked, So, and they were using Rusty Railroad Spikes, which caused a Fortitude save versus the Rust. So of the four that attacked the Wasteland Warrior, one got through, but she passed her Fortitude save. The Wasteland Wizard was hit by three and failed to save, but he burned eight luck to pass because, you know, we, he, I wasn't sure what the this rust would do. Um, then the next turn, the, uh, the child, the wild child, was the only one that could act. So he went in his berserk mode, and he stomped on the feet of the other characters to kind of give them another save against this railway dirge that disoriented them. The... Wasteland Wizard passed the save, and since Chill Touch was still active, he was able to strike one of the the wraiths with that. It's a Ginzu sword is what the Wasteland Warrior has. But anyway, he, he struck into damage to one of them, but then in their count, and then the Wild Child also swung the chainsaw around, and I think he managed to injure or kill a couple of the wraiths. And then the wraiths attacked and killed the Wasteland Wizard by, by hitting three Daheim, so he was down to like negative 13 hit points. Then the the next round, top of the next round, because the Wasteland Warrior had rolled like 23 for initiative, she grabs the six-pack of logger from the Wasteland Wizard's corpse, slices the top off with her sword, and spins around, spraying the wraiths with the foam, which... It, like say it acts like holy water so it destroyed all the wraiths at that point euchre was also hit with a spray so instead of turning to wraith he actually revived and he comes back with four hit points but he loses a personality point because he died we'll come back to that later so we start investigating the the rail car and by now the driver the man max character is with us and the driver has ability to s s smell petrol so he finds a five gallon you know, can of petrol. We also found a couple boxes of corkscrews, which act as D3 weapons, coffee mugs, and scrap keychains. We carried the corkscrews back to the train, back to our car, to use as calthrops down the road. And now we moved on to the next car. All the time, the train engineer, known as Gomez, was giving us a hard time, and and, and you know, basically 
harassing us and we could hear his voice. So we get to the next car and there, the Wasteland Warrior steps in first and there were six rail guards in the car with pistols and combat knives. They open fire. Two hit, but she has a riot shield which blocked one, but the other one gets through, does like ten, or, no, did like six points damage to her. The Wasteland Wizard tries to cast Spiderweb but fails, so he loses that spell. The Wild Child threw the, the five gallon can of petrol, the gas can, at them. They get soaked in gas. And then the Wasteland Warrior shoves her sword in the floor, whips out the fishing line that has the electric energy, or the fishing pole with the electric energy line, and smacks the floor, igniting the gas, setting off a conflagration that just kills the guards instantly, but it knocks her back. She gets knocked down to four hit points, and she her hair and eyebrows are on fire, so she has to drop, stop, drop, and roll to put that out. The guards were guarding a vault, so they went. The wild child, who's also you know, a thiefy type character, picks a lock. They go in the vault. There's a small table with a piece of paper on it, saying to take um, option two, take take um, yeah path two. So they take that, and then they move on to the next car, which is the engineer you know the the engine car and there's a gomez is in there and he's almost like a fire elemental looks like gomez from the adams family but fiery red hair and you know in the flames and he's picked up the speed of the engine and the train's going very fast and some of the characters can see down the track that we're, they're headed towards some rubble on the track that the train's going to crash into, which will probably kill everybody. So a couple of the characters try to start getting back to the car to get off the train. That's what the driver does. The Wasteland Warrior tried to get up top to do that, and then she slipped and started to fall. The driver grabs her, and then she dropped back down into the car. The Wasteland Wizard jumped up at run and tried to jump from car to car, and he failed his save. And then he had one last save that Carl kindly gave him to try to grab onto something. He failed that. So he went down between the cars and is crushed by the wheels. The wild child starts trying to decouple the cars. So the Wasteland Warrior gets between Gomez, the engineer, and the wild child to protect the, him while he decoupled the cars. Um, they managed to decouple the cars. The driver keeps going towards the car. The wild child's on the, the train cars, not the engine, but the Wasteland Warrior is still on the engine. So as they decouple, the Wasteland Warrior turns around and uses the, this fishing line once more to cast back and try to swing between the cars, kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. And she fails her roll, but the wild child grabs her, or she does not a great roll, and the wild child grabs her. And if we were playing a, an R-rated game, we would say that the, you know, the wild child grabbed her legs and pulled to her crotch, hit him in the face. But we're not playing an X-rated game, so or R-rated game, so we don't don't need to go with that style of humor. Anyhow, at that point, the engineer Gomez hits the brakes, so the engine stops, locks up, and the and the passenger cars ram into it. So we had to roll reflex saves again. This time, the Wasteland Warrior fails, so she's unable to jump between the cars and gets crushed between the cars. The wild child takes off down the passenger car. and So eventually the wild child and the driver get back to the, the vehicle, the Mach 5, and they get off the train in time before the train crashes and, and is destroyed. Because, as you remember from the first episode, the Techno Wizard has, her, has pulled the souls out so we can feel pain but not totally die. The Wasteland Warrior and Wasteland Wizard wake up, their bodies kind of pull back together, and kind of like a like the werewolf in um, Monster Squad. And they start running after the train and finally catch up and get in the car with the other two. And they get to the end of the race, which is there where the train stopped, or the, this leg of the race. And they see the other, other two teams in the distance coming up to join them. And the announcer shows up and the hologram of the the crowd and everything shows up and they say, you know, basically we won the first leg of the race, 30 minutes till the next leg starts, and there are three hot air balloons, which one do we want to pick? 
and going off the note we found in the vault, we, we chose path two or hot air balloon two. And, and that's where we stopped the session. It was a great session, lots of fun, and definitely look forward to the next one. If this sounds like fun to anybody and you're free Sunday morning Eastern time or Sunday morning U.S. time, then definitely check it out. Who's on the phone? your auntie or a joke about your spouse but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box well the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head and the only question left is if i fail to shoot him dead bring on the gold bring on the gold i want some There is a dustman in your moilers by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away േ േേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേേ